Good afternoon. Glad that you guys are here today. I know God has something very special in store for us. Before we go any further, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. Like David said, God, evening, morning, and noon, we will praise your name. And Lord, it's just a little bit past noon, but right now we just want to take this time to thank you for being our Redeemer, our lover, the one who watches over our lives, and the one who brings providences into our very existence to reveal who you are. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, if this is your first time in restoration, glad that you guys are here. It's going to be an exciting meeting. I know that God has some special things in store for us, as I said earlier. Uh, today we're going to be covering the story of Ruth and Boaz. The story of Ruth and Boaz. How many people have ever read that story before? Raise your hand. All right. Now, whenever I read that book, or at least when I first heard of that book, I should say, I always thought it was one of the female books of the Bible. You guys know what those are all about, right? Where they have a women's Bible study and they're going to be studying the strong women of the Bible, right? We'll study Ruth. We'll study Esther. And so I'd always kind of stay away from that book and Song of Solomon as well for obvious reasons. But then I began to study out the story of Ruth, and I was blown away by the pictures of God that are in there, as well as very practical advice. In fact, um, part of these afternoon meetings are going to be covering 10 love stories in the Bible and how they're applicable to us and how they reveal God's character. All right, now we're going to jump into the story of Ruth. Ruth is a very interesting story. It starts off with tragedy. Almost like a, a very serious heartbreak happens in the life of one of the characters. Her name is Naomi. The story goes like this. There was a lot of trouble that was happening in Israel at that time. A lot of oppression that was coming from pagan nations. So there was for this particular Israelite family. It was Naomi, her husband, and her two sons. They decided to get up and leave town and they moved to the area known as Moab. And there they were rooted in that Moab culture. And her two sons got married to two Moabite women. People who did not have a Jewish background or an understanding of the Jewish religion at first. Tragedy takes place. Chapter 1 describes that tragedy. Naomi's husband dies. She has just lost her husband. Shortly after, her two sons die as well. And so chapter 1 begins with a lot of bitterness, it begins with a lot of tragedy, a lot of sorrow, a lot of heartbreak. And so here Naomi is in the beginning of this story. She doesn't even want anybody to call her Naomi, she wants her, everybody to call her Mara, which means bitterness. She's having a hard time trying to understand what's going on in life. And it's very interesting, it is during this time that she decides that she's going to go back to Israel and die in Israel. However, one of the daughters by the name of Ruth decides something. She decides that she's going to stick it out with Naomi. She's been so blessed by Naomi that she wants to follow her. In fact, take a good look at what the scripture says right here about Ruth when she's trying to convince her mother-in-law, Naomi, to go with her. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be what? My people, now notice this, and your God, what? My God, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. 
Take a good look how she ends with this entreaty. It almost sounds like some kind of marriage covenant. Till death do us part. You see, Ruth had not only fallen in love with that family that she had been integrated into, she fell in love with Naomi's godly example. And she says, the God you worship, I am going to worship. This foreigner then became a proselyte to Judaism. She decided that she was going to worship this monotheistic being, and she was going to give him worship and praise, and she was going to go follow Naomi back to her town. Just think about this commitment, what that would have included. Here's Naomi. She's about to go back into a town. She hardly has anything. She's just lost her family. Her business is gone. She's about to go back. She's just full of depression and darkness. And here Ruth makes a decision, and that decision is a very sacrificial sacrificial decision. She's going to go with Naomi regardless of everything. She is so attached to Naomi's godly example that she says, you know what, being around you is like being around God. You know, when I first became a a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, there was a young man who brought me into the church, but his mom impressed me the most. She's like a Christian mom to me. Every time I'm around this woman, it's like I sense the presence of angels. You go into her house, she has a very simple apartment. She's got a few pictures of Jesus. She's got a few Bibles. And she's a very balanced, prayerful woman. And when I'm around her, I just feel this peace. You know, when the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, ladies and gentlemen, people around you are going to be affected. Duardo Moody one day was just in a train, and there was this man who was staring at him right across from the other side of the train and was just watching him the whole time during this train ride. In the middle of the train ride, this man gets up, walks up to Dwight Moody, and says, I don't know who you are, and you don't know who I am, but your very presence convicts me of sin. <laughs> Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. When the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you begin to have something of this convicting influence about the, around the, the people around you. And so here, Naomi, she's about to go back, and Ruth makes the decision. She is going to go back to Israel with Naomi. And it's very interesting how chapter 1 ends. Chapter 1 ends like this. It describes Naomi and Ruth going back into Israel, and then it says this, and it was the beginning of the barley harvest. Very intentional. The Bible here is pointing out some kind of providence is about to take place. They're showing up at a time where there was supposed to be this great rejoicing because the harvest was taking place, yet emotionally they were distraught. And so they get to Israel, and everyone begins to whisper and gossip. Oh, there's Naomi, and there's her daughter-in-law. There are no more men in her life. She has this foreigner following her. And as they begin to go into town and attempt to make their way into town, people are whispering. Everyone notices Naomi. And food runs out. Ruth gets up one day and she says, I'm going to go out to the fields and I'm going to pick, I'm going to start gleaning the fields. And so she starts gleaning the fields after the reapers. What was left over was left for poor people. And that's what the Levitical laws actually opened the door for. For the poor, that when people were reaping fields or doing their harvest, stuff that was left over, grains and bits and pieces, were left over for poor people. And so Ruth goes into that field and she begins to pick up all this stuff. And as she's picking up all this stuff on this particular field, now enter the climax of this love story. All of a sudden, 
the biblical stud shows up. His name is Boaz. Not too much is given about Boaz. He shows up. And he begins to notice this particular female in this field. He begins to inquire about her. He asks the question. He says, whose woman is this? And they begin to elaborate and share, well, that is Naomi's daughter-in-law. And so he walks up to her. And he begins to have a conversation. Take a good look at this conversation. After, after Boaz said, it's okay for you to continue, excuse me, whoa, continue to keep um, gleaning on this field, take a good look at that. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Now watch Boaz. And Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully what? Reported to me. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Now I'm about to ask you a question. Here it is. Why did Boaz begin to take notice of Ruth? Okay, raise your hand. Okay, that's what the scripture says, but can you elaborate what that means? Yes. He was hearing what? Okay, good characteristic. Anybody else? What else was Boaz hearing about Ruth? Yes. Okay, what was her reputation all about? About being um, one who loves to the degree that she forsook everything just for this one lady. Okay, now I'm going to ask you a question. Why in the world would this impress Boaz? He's crazy. He's crazy. Okay, anybody else? <laughs> That's what love does, doesn't it? Okay. How about you over there in the green shirt? He's crazy too. Is that what you're going to say? Ah, oh, you just nailed it. Do you know Boaz's mom was Rahab the harlot? Do you know who Rahab was? She was a foreigner who made herself part of Israel's tribes. And so as Boaz is looking at Ruth, you know what he's seeing? His mom. You know, have you heard that old adage? <laughs> that is absolutely the truth of the matter. Have you heard of that old adage, boys marry their mom? Have mercy for some of you. <laughs> that is absolutely a truth. And so in this particular situation, Boaz begins to notice her, and he's probably remembering his mom as she was a foreigner, as she was coming into the camp of Israel and begin to worship Israel's God. And now he sees somebody very similar, and his heart begins to be touched. And the Bible says that people begin to report to him all the things that were taking place. And he was impressed by her character. And by the way, what you're going to begin to notice throughout the rest of the story is that it's kind of underlying, but it's there. Boaz has been watching and observing Ruth.
It's interesting because he's been just paying attention to her, and you're going to see this begin to play out. And there's a powerful lesson here. That's the end of it. Now, see what happens next. So she goes back with this great old uh, harvest that she goes back to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and Naomi says, where did you get this? Who's taking notice of you? Because Naomi knows this is not normal. And then Ruth explains, well, Boaz. And instantly, Naomi's a very smart, intelligent woman. And you know what she does? She said, aha, we're going to do something. She even uses the word. She even uses the phrase, we're going to get security for you. And Ruth is acting naive. Well, what are we going to do? (laughs) And so what happens, Naomi hatches a plan, but a plan that is probably weird to us, but normal to that culture. She says this, what you're going to do is, when Boaz is sleeping, you're going to dress in your best clothing, you're going to go to where he's at, and in the middle of the night, you're going to take off his shoes. (laughs) And then Ruth says this, Naomi says this, or Ruth says, this, all that you have said, I will do. <laughs> She's following the counsel, get this, of a very wise mentor. Remember what I said to you yesterday, ladies and gentlemen? What did I say to you? What do you need to have in your relational experience with other people? You've got to have godly wise people, right? Godly people. And this is extremely important. You're going to see this even play out a little bit more. So here's Ruth. She begins to go in the middle of the night. She's dressed in her best clothes. And there Boaz is sleeping. And she takes off his shoes just like this. And all of a sudden, he wakes up in the middle of the night and he says these words, Who are you? And it's remarkable what she says to him. Look what she says. I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your what? Wing. Now notice this, Boaz had actually said that to her prior, talking about God's blessing upon her, and here she is saying to him, just like God is blessing, please be like God and take me under your wing, for you are a close relative, and we'll get into that in just a bit. Then he said, notice this, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the, what? End and at, then at the beginning. And by the way, that's a phrase that repeats throughout all of Scripture, and one of these nights we're going to be covering why that phrase is in Scripture. In that you did not, now notice this, in that you did not go after young men. He was paying attention to her, whether poor or rich. And he knows what kind of woman she is. Now notice this, and now my daughter, do not fear. Now watch this, I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a what? Did you know in scripture, she is the only woman called a virtuous woman? She is the Proverbs 31 woman right here. Nobody else in scripture was called a virtuous woman. Yet Ruth was. I'm going to ask you another question right now. You ready for this? What made her the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31? Yes. (laughs) Man. You you just get the right answer always. Anybody else? What made her the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31? Come on, women. I know you guys study Proverbs 31. It's part of the strong women's Bible study, right? (laughs) Tell me, of Ruth's life, which part of Ruth's life magnified Proverbs 31? She was a hard worker gleaning. She was a hard worker gleaning? Okay, very good. Anybody else? Give it one more shot. Yes. In the Garden of Eden, 
person in the significant other. Uh-huh. And Ruth, she was, she was guiding her garden first as opposed to looking for the significant other first. She had a priorities. That's an excellent answer, but that's not the answer I'm looking for. <laughs> Anybody else? Yes. She was resourceful, right? Proverbs 31 is describing a very practical woman. The very last verse of Proverbs 31 epitomizes who Ruth is, and it says this, Let her works praise her in the gates. Remember what Boaz said? What did Boaz say about Ruth when he first met Ruth? It has been fully what? Reported to me. In other words... The righteous works of Ruth were being well known throughout the entire town. And Boaz began to hear about it. This was no biased report he was hearing. He was hearing all sorts of, you know, things about Ruth. Oh, yeah, that woman is a godly woman. This woman, she is helping her mom or mother-in-law unselfishly. She has been converted to Israel's God over and over again. She's hearing all, he's hearing all sorts of things. And he's gathering all these things and he says, you are a virtuous woman. You are a virtuous woman. Now what takes place here is very interesting, okay? Boaz decides at this very moment, he says, all right, what I need to do is this. I'm going to have to go talk to another kinsman. Back in Israel's law, that if somebody died, it was the responsibility of a relative to take that family and continue the lineage. And Boaz says, I am totally willing to do this. But then he says, however, there is a relative who is closer to you. In other words, Boaz was already thinking about this. It's not like he just woke up in the middle of the night and says, oh, yeah, I know what to do. You can tell he had been processing some of these thoughts. And then he says this, okay, I'm going to go talk to this guy. You just rest here. And in the, middle, in the morning, you get up and you take off. Let nobody know that there was a woman here. They were, make, they were making sure they were guarding each other's reputation during this time. Now, what is so remarkable is what takes place. Ruth goes back home, probably skipping, right? She gets back home, and Naomi's there, and Naomi's like, what's going on? And Ruth begins to explain the rest of the story. Now, what is so amazing is what Naomi says to Ruth. She says this, then she said, sit still. What does that tell you Naomi, Ruth was probably doing when she got back to the house? She was very giddy, right? Biting her nails. She was probably really antsy about the whole thing. She was really nervous. And she was like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And Ruth, Naomi's just a very wise woman. Now watch what Naomi says right here. She said, sit still, my daughter, until you will know how the matter will turn out. Now notice what she says about Boaz because she knows his reputation. For the man will not what? Rest until he has concluded the matter this day. This is the part I want to hone in on, ladies and gentlemen, and that is this. There is something Naomi understood about Boaz, and that was he was a righteous man. He was righteous because he understood the appropriate way to get Ruth. You know, when I was at Weimar College, I had just become a Christian two or three years prior. One day I was walking into the bathroom at night. I was walking in the bathroom, and there one of my friends was. He was just shaving, and he was like, doo -doo, doo -doo -doo, just shaving away, right? And I said, hey, how's it going? He's like, it's going good. And just was, I just noticed he was a little bit too happy. And I said, anything new going on? And he's like, yeah, I just started courting this girl. And I was like, oh, really? You know, and so we started talking. And then I said, no, oh, that's interesting. And he said this to me. I never forgot it. He's like, yeah, and I called her parents up yesterday. Amen right now, but amen not then. 
When I heard it, when I, it was literally, when I heard him say that, I said to him, what did you just do? And he said, he looked at me and he said, well, I called your parents up. I said, for what reason? He said, because I wanted to get their permission before I would court their daughter. And I was just blown away. I never forgot that moment. I mean, I was silent literally for two or three minutes as I was just like staring in unbelief. You know, because the way I grew up was this. In the Indian culture, that's immersed in the American culture, you really don't date. You're single, then you're married. <laughs> Traditional Indian family, single, then married, right? And dating is seen as almost scandalous because the implication is if you're dating, you're already in a physical relationship. That's Indian culture for you. And uh, so when I was growing up in America, I would get girlfriends and I would not tell my family about it whatsoever. Then when I became a Christian and I found out you're supposed to tell the family, it blew me away. Not about marriage, simply about courting. I was just blown away by this concept. And as I began to examine it out more and more, I became convinced this is so appropriate. There are a lot of people, and I'm going to start touching on hearts, who play with each other's emotions and refuse to contact the parents. I'm going to beat up on men right now. Men are very, very responsible for this kind of action. One of the reasons we'd rather avoid contacting the parents is because it holds us to a kind of accountability. We would rather have the benefits of the relationship than the commitment of the relationship. And ladies, if a man is not willing to contact your parents when there's obviously some kind of attention, clear tension that's taking place, you need to leave that man. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what I tell my youth kids? Some of them don't have godly parents. And they're like, who's supposed to call who? And I said, well, tell them to call your parents if they're interested in you, just to get permission. Because in the end, I'll tell you this, one of the greatest causes of divorce and problem for relationships are the in-laws. And if you do not gain the respect of the father or the mother, as you're going into that, they will be the biggest nuisance to you ever. <laughs> you know how I know this? Because I'm already planning to be the biggest nuisance to anybody who attempts to date my future daughter, Fox Kanda, without... That's her name? What? You guys got weird names too, so I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Without my permission, I will be offended if someone attempts to date. You know, one day I was preaching a sermon, and I was trying to teach this to my congregation. I said this to some of the men. I said this, imagine if you got a nice red Lamborghini in your garage, and this young man shows up. He's a teenager, and he says to you, knocks on the door. He's like, hey, I would love to take that Lamborghini out for a ride. You would say, you better get out of here as you're loading your shotgun, right? <laughs> How much more is your daughter worth to you? You get my point, ladies and gentlemen? Here's the thing, especially for men. 
Instead of just playing with hearts, you guys just need to be very straightforward. If you are interested in somebody and you feel that, you know, God is opening the doors for this and you feel like you've received good counsel, stop wasting time, be straightforward, contact the parents, and then be straightforward with her. You know, the cool thing about Boaz is even Naomi understood this, that he would not rest because he wanted to be appropriate and right in the sight of God. Spirit of Prophecy tells us it's almost like a form of stealing when you attempt to win the affections in a very strong way. I'm not simply just trying to gauge whether or not there's affection, but when you are actually in that mode of winning affections and going into this kind of commitment without in some way getting some kind of contact with the parents, you are beginning to break the commandment that says thou shalt not steal. It's that important. You may not think it's important, but wait till you become a parent. And you're seeing your child go out with somebody you have no idea about. It's that important. And one of the best ways you want to be able to model it to your children one day is to be able to say, look, this is what I did. They may laugh at you just like I laughed at that guy. But in the end, they will have that example. They will have that example. And so this is what Boaz does. He goes there and he begins to, you know, talk to the other kinsmen and he gets into this conversation with him and, you know, he begins to already map out the plan and the other kinsman decides, well, you know what, Boaz, you can just have her and you can have the property. And so Boaz and her end up getting married. It's a wonderful love story. But what is so amazing about this love story, it's a picture of Jesus Christ, a powerful picture of Jesus Christ. And I was noticing it this morning as I was studying it out. Here you have Boaz, who was half a Gentile and half a Jew. Here you have Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. And here you have Boaz that's in the threshing fold. And here floor, and there you have Jesus, who was in the Garden of Gethsemane, which was also a kind of threshing floor and an oil press. And here you have Ruth, who is a foreigner. And she goes up to his very feet, and she says to him, I am your maidservant, cover me. And ladies and gentlemen, when we come to the foot of the cross, what is so beautiful is that Jesus pours out his grace and his mercy and his love upon us. Take a good look at this. This is in Desire of Ages. I don't know what's with the problem with the PowerPoint. There it is. Of Christ's relation to his people, there is a beautiful illustration of the laws given to Israel. When through poverty, a Hebrew had been forced to part with his patrimony and to sell himself as a bondservant, the duty of redeeming him and his inheritance fell to the one who was nearest of kin. So the work of redeeming us and our inheritance, lost through sin, fell upon him who is near of kin to us. It was to redeem us that he became our kinsman. Closer than a father, mother, brother, friend, or lover is the Lord our Savior. Fear not, he says, for I have redeemed you. I have called thee by name. Thou art mine. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honorable, and I have loved thee. God loves you, ladies and gentlemen. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for your life. And what you see in the story of Boaz and Ruth, you see a story of redemption that takes place for each and every one of us. We have a God who loves us with an infinite love. A God who is willing to pay and has paid that kinsman price to redeem us. And what is so amazing about this whole story is that when Jesus is tracing the lineage of where he comes from, it goes all the way back to the story of Boaz, Naomi, Ruth. What a powerful story that Jesus has entered into our lineage to save us. You know, there's one thing that really 
probably annoys me more than anything in this entire world. Something that just makes me really grind my teeth. And it's when I hear about child prostitution. That just really, really gets to me. And I was doing some research in preparation for some of the night meetings. And there was an interesting story. It was a story of a young Indian woman. She had her parents. She had a younger brother. And a process begins to take place where she is going to get married to somebody who lives several hours away. So she decides to go out there with the family. They meet the relatives. And they decide that she'll stay over there for a few days. Parents go back. And the woman finds out that she has been tricked into joining a brothel. And she's only a young woman, 17 years old. And he, here she is, she's part of this brothel, forced into prostitution, raped repeatedly. Wonders if she'll ever see her family again. Thinking about her parents, who are probably wondering, where is she in the midst of two billion people? Years go on, and she gets used to the kind of process of seeing her, having her body just being thrown one way or the other, treated like nothing, garbage. Her value begins to go down more and more. And one day, in the midst of this dark phase of her life, the local Indian pimp sends her to a room. She's expecting the same thing as she's waiting for a very violent man to come in, and there she sees a mysterious stranger, hardly recognizes him. And she is just waiting to be abused when he stops. And he says to her, I'm your brother. It was her younger brother who had actually grown up. And what he did, he had paid for her to come out of the brothel because none of the police would do anything about it. This woman was redeemed by her younger and now seemingly older looking brother. And when we take a good look at the gospel story, ladies and gentlemen, sin has left us wounded and destroyed, left on the side of the road where we have no power in of ourselves to do anything. And yet Jesus comes alongside of us, this seemingly unusual foreigner. And he picks us up, and he washes away the wounds, and he pours in oil and wine. Puts us on his animal, takes us to this inn, where he pays the price, but also covers the future price as well. And we see here the picture of God for each and every one of us. Ladies and gentlemen, there's more to that thought when Jesus says he has redeemed you. There's more than just this thought he has simply saved you. He has delivered you from this world. And if you will accept it, just simply open up your heart like Ruth and just say, Lord, here I am. Take me under your wing. You will find God's grace so willingly being able to be poured out for every person here. How many people just want to praise God for that special gift that we have in Jesus, our elder brother? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time. And Lord, thank you so much for modeling 
real love to us in a world that has lost its way. Bless each person. Father, we ask that every person may go out knowing that they have an elder brother in Jesus and that you love them and you care for them. Father, I also pray for their love lives, their relationships. They would recognize, God, that you have crowned them with dignity, great dignity, and a heavenly royalty, Lord. And nothing in this world should take away that value. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.